You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards Nagel, and Taylor Polendo. Welcome back to part two of our interview on gaslighting and manipulation. We are here with counselor Stacy Ross. And if you haven't heard our first episode, it's the one right before this one that talks about the dangerous practice of gaslighting and the hallmarks of the manipulation that takes place. In this episode, we're going to talk about what to do about gaslighting and how to get help. So let's jump right in where we left off. And Taylor, we'll start with your next question. What are some steps for people maybe experiencing gaslighting? How can they seek help? What's your advice for them? It's important to acknowledge that you've experienced abuse. When I work with my clients, I think they need to be able to label it because when they're in the heart of it and they try to say, well, maybe I am too sensitive. Oh, maybe they were right. We got to get that language stopped. So once they can start to acknowledge that there was abuse, then the healing can begin. Mm -hmm. And it looks very similar to grief and bereavement work. So there's stages of grief, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, perhaps you've heard of those. Yes. Those stages, they don't go linearly. You kind of move in and out of them. But initially you might feel the denial. How did this happen? Which we call more like disbelief. How did I end up here? Yeah. I thought I was stronger than this or whatever stories you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. So you're in that denial phase, but with the help of either a therapist or some self-help books, or even like the online support groups now, you can have someone help you normalize your experience. And that that's the first step. Mm. Once it starts to get normalized, then there's a sense of you're able to tap into the anger. And that is super important that the targeted person feels anger because that's probably been shut down for quite a while because they've just been trying to cope and get through. There needs to be a sense of the injustice of what's happened. So you tap into that, you experience that, you feel that. There might even be some bargaining going on. Like, what if I had done this? If only I had done that. I always told my families when I was working with them in grief and bereavement, as I said, you have to ask every question you can think, all the what ifs, and exhaust them so that you get to a point where you realize, oh, I was taken advantage of. Maybe there wasn't really anything I could have done differently. That person was so masterful at what they did. Mm -hmm. So once they can let that go, then they can move on and start to heal. Mm -hmm. So then the other two things, depression is going to show up, but it's not clinical depression. So as my job is to start to work with my clients and say, it's a normal, natural feeling to have that sort of melancholy. It's going to go up and it's going to go down as you're moving through the healing process. So allow yourself that. In fact, carve out time to, to grieve this loss. Cause there was a, there was a loss of something, whether it's a loss of innocence or a loss of a part of yourself, or even just losing that relationship. Mm-hmm. Even if you know they're unhealthy or you've lost a job because someone sabotaged you, that is all unhealthy, but you're still grieving the loss. And it's important to look at that. And so once that is all happened, there does become a sense of acceptance, not acceptance in saying like, it's okay. It happened. Mm-hmm. I'm not that person anymore. What is my new normal? How am I going to re-engage in my life? And really that means making new routines. Maybe it's even literally moving. I mean, there's, there's many things you can do, but changing how you're eating, how you're sleeping, how you're exercising, giving yourself a different way of being in the world than how you were under those circumstances. I have a question. We're talking 
a lot about a targeted person, right? I'm wondering if people out there feel that they come from families that are this way, or they have been influenced in some way, or maybe they had a relationship partner or something, you know, they were targeted in that way, and they don't want to repeat that behavior. I'm wondering if if they're able to self-reflect or examine if they struggle with this internally. Right. Well, I kind of feel like you're almost asking two different things. Like, how do you examine it in yourself to see if you could be some that struggles with it? And then if you do, how do you prevent? Yeah, it kind of comes back to the manipulator is not going to do the self-reflection. Mm-hmm. If you are asking yourself, hmm, do I have a, an issue with this? You probably aren't a manipulator because they aren't even going to take the time to ask that. It's not really in their repertoire. Having said that, you've, that test I was telling you about, that EQ test, really does help you kind of look at the level of, of empathy that you experience in your life. Yeah. Let's just say you're someone operating in the world like we all do, and you haven't actually met this gaslighter yet, but you're like, how do I make sure I don't get caught up in something like that? Would that be a better question to answer maybe? Yeah. Yeah. How can you see it coming almost, you know? Yeah. So there's a couple really big red flags. If you meet somebody and they share too much too soon. If they share really, really intimate things about themselves in the very early stages of their relationship, that is a big red flag. Hmm. You need to be very careful. That, that falls more under borderline personality, but nevertheless, that's a manipulator because they're looking for your sympathy and your pity. That's not how a relationship works. Think about a really healthy relationship you have with one of your friends. You lean on each other, right? I always think of it like a seesaw. When one's down, maybe the other one's up so they could be that support system. And then eventually it tilts the other way, right? That's healthy. That's normal. And sometimes you're both down, but not often. But the point being is it it moves back and forth and you are more than willing to be the person to support that person. Okay, so that's not the case with um, the red flags. If someone's coming in and they're giving you all their private information and they're saying things like, wow, no one's really ever understood me like you understand me. Mm, that feels good to hear, but that's, that's just manipulation. Think about that. That's one of them. The other one is if you find yourself pitying someone who actually continues to hurt you. Yeah. I've been guilty of that. Yeah. Especially when it's a family member, because There's confusion around that. You've had relationships with these people for years and it can really play with your brain, but that's another sign. If they're, they continue to want your sympathy and pity, but then they also turn around and hurt you again. That doesn't work. It's a good point. So you know how we were talking about these catchphrases, you're too sensitive Mm -hmm. or wow, you're really emotional Mm -hmm. or I was just joking. That's a big one. Yeah. And I'll share an example with you on a personal level, if I may, how that particular phrase was when I finally realized I was being gaslighted by my brother. Just a quick background. I had cancer in my 20s and in my 40s, there was a pretty big falling out with my family between my husband and my brother. And one of the things to triangulate my mom into feel sorry for him and take his side, because I I stood up to him and I won't bore you with all the details, but I stood up to what he was doing wrong. He didn't like it. And he did all the things I talked about, the anger, the antisocial behavior, the, the bullying, the yelling, all those kind of things. And I've never had anyone talk to me like that before. And it was like, 
well, that's not okay. I don't care if you're my family member. But anyway, what he had said to my mother and my dad was that um, he wished that I had died when I had cancer, Wow, which is pretty brutal, right? That's wrong. Totally wrong. I don't care if you, you might feel it. You might think it, do you say it to your own parents about their other child? No, total boundary crossing. It got back to me. Of course he said, I was just kidding. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to take a joke. Mm. But the worst part of it was that my mother said the same thing Mm. that he was just kidding. You don't know how to take a joke. And that's another red flag. My friends is that when you get another person and a lot of times in families, siblings will do this. They'll try to pull one parent in to go against the other sibling. But when another person, an apath, because that's what my mom hates. I don't mean to put labels on, but if we're looking at that dynamic, that's who she became. He hooked her in, she bought whatever story he was telling her. And that's what they came back with. And it was like, mm. whoa, that was my first aha moment. Cause when you're in a relationship with a family for many years, you put up with a lot of things. Oh, that's just how that person acts. Or we make a lot of excuses for them. Same with spouses sometimes too, or, or your children or what have you. But in terms of that family dynamic, it's, well, this was my first playmate when I was little, we grew up, we had these relationships. And then you become adults and you start to think, wow, I wouldn't treat somebody else like that. Mm -hmm. Why am I letting someone treat me like that? And it's important to to do that self-reflection. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And I'm sure you guys have some of your own examples. One of the things that I've read about or heard about is this idea that because you're the target and you're a reasonable person that you're trying to see if they are making a valid point. Yes. (laughs) try to negotiate with them. Yes. Wait, maybe I am kind of insensitive or maybe I am overthinking. Yeah. And somehow that (laughs) gets turned around where it's like you walk into the gaslighting a bit. Oh yeah. They are waiting for you to get that little hook and put that in your mouth. That's what they're hoping is they'll take advantage of your gentleness, your empathic nature to do that self-reflection. Or to get into those conversations like a million times. Oh, yes. I've had experience where I would see myself getting into the same type of conversation over and over and over again. Over and over. And it was like, am I going crazy? Like, have we not talked about this or have we not tried to address? But then you don't want to not let them process. So you're like, no, I want to let them feel themselves out, you know, because I'm in a relationship with them or... Yeah. You're trying to be like generous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and that is a sign though. If it's the same conversation over and over, no resolution, no accountability, no integrity, then that's when we have to stop and say, I need to change this dynamic. So when I have clients who come in, they're like, now what, what do I do now? What do I do with this person? Depends on the circumstances. If you have to work with this person, maybe you start to go through a third party or they only communicate with you through emails or texting, but you're not engaging with them if that's an option. Mm -hmm. So that's limited contact. Mm -hmm. You have to have very strong boundaries and really adhere to them. We're just talking about this, (laughs) right? Boundaries are huge. And you know, that also is a word that gets thrown around, Yeah. but let's say in this circumstance, it's vital. So what I have done personally is I have no more contact with him because it created so much physical and emotional pain for me that I actually got sick again Mm -hmm. and I got cancer again. Now I can't say that was exactly what caused it, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you the toll that it took on me changed my, my physical dynamics. That's real. So that was my uh, 
wake up, Stacy. What are you doing? Enough is enough. You have to draw a line and literally disconnect from this person. No social media, no texting, no email. You know, you draw lines with your family and say, I cannot have a relationship with this person. I hope you can respect it. And they may not. And that's not much you can do about that. But it's still, you have to make a choice that's best for you. <laughs> so that's what I would tell any of my clients who come in either little to no contact. So let's say an example of a custody case, right? Where you have to exchange the children from time to time, Mm -hmm. create a situation where either you meet up at a place or someone else, you know, helps exchange the kids. So you don't have to engage, but you don't text with them and you don't email with them because Mm -hmm. the manipulator, sometimes they get bored and they're like, "Eh, I'm done with you. I'm letting you off my hook. Others are like, I'm here to torture you now. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to send you these texts that are just what I know are button pushers for you. Mm -hmm. You're a bad parent because our kid's not doing well in school, whatever those little pieces will be. Yeah. Or even the opposite, sweet talking you to suck you back in just to drop you. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's one or the other, but it's all for their own purpose. It's never for your sake. It's for their gain. And a lot of that's about ego, right? The thought of you, you left me. Oh no, no, I got to. I need to figure out a way to pull you back. I feel like this is a huge distinction between what we've been working on this chapter, I guess, if you will, and boundaries with getting to talking to you about these topics. In boundaries, it's knowing ourselves better so that we can help other people that we want to be in relationship with treat us better. Yes. And this seems like a topic of actually having to examine and decipher, is this relationship worth even keeping? Yeah, that's exactly right. And especially if you're starting to find that the relationship is detrimental to you, I don't think it should matter who the person is. It might even be your own child, but if they're manipulating you and it's not healthy, then you have to really re-examine that or your own parent, you know, I mean, it could be someone very intimate in your life. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's not easy. With those examples, especially with family, it's so hard. There's a little voice in my head. That's like, always give the seed of hope to reinvite them. And I think that's maybe why you, me or other people have felt almost walked on in those relationships because you're always hoping it will get better. Yes. And so you say, okay, I'll keep you at a distance, you know, but I love you so much. I hope it gets better. It's a hard balance. Yeah. It's a very hard balance. And this is what I would tell any of my clients. If you are in a relationship with a manipulator, there's a couple things. Do not try to outsmart them. They always can raise their game. Some of them get pleasure from it, to be honest with you. Do not try to get in an argument with them. All it's going to leave you is exasperated. And like you said earlier, Meredith, about running around in the same circle about the same conversation, and you just throw your hands up. You're like, I'm not getting what I want, which is acknowledgement or accountability or whatever, because they're not going to give that to you. They don't want to, and they don't really know how. And as I kind of call it too, is don't poke the bear. If you have a manipulator who's a little aggressive or angry, or they can kind of blow off, don't provoke them. It's not worth it. Better to just step back. Finn McGregor wrote this quote, when the sociopath performs his cruel play, take your cue and exit the stage. So in other words, and even my own mother-in-law used to say, because she's very clear on talks with people. She says, when you see them coming, cross to the other side of the street, mm-hmm. don't engage. Mm-hmm. And that is honestly the best advice that was given to me, but also that I could give to anybody else. To the best of your ability, limit engagement or cut it off altogether. Because this is not someone that is going to evolve as a person. 
this is kind of who they are. Yeah. <sighs> it's so hard. It's weird. It's like coworker relationship. I feel like, yeah, my mind can get there. But when you really love a person, it's yes. really hard yes. to get there. I've had past relationship where I've had that like crazy making thought. I think I really resonate with the intro where Dr. K was saying about, I'm not cheating. You're paranoid, <laughs> you know, just to come yeah. to find that it's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. I remember thinking that way, like re-examining going, well, there's something wrong with me that I would feel this way about a person. They're telling me that they're not cheating. Why don't I trust them? Yes. Who am I to keep asking that terrible question of somebody over and over again? Right. Just doubt yourself. And it rebuilding self-trust in something like that is a long road. If that is their pattern to have lied about it, I think you have to trust that they're liars about it. Yeah. So I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I have done couples therapy for 25 years. And I do think there are couples who come in when they're healthy couples who really want to change things. Mm -hmm. But when I've had that couple, like I told you where he's, he or she is like, I don't have the problem. They have the problem. Mm -hmm. It does not work nine times out of 10, probably 10 times out of 10. That's a divorce, Yeah, you know, or they came in once and they're never coming back. So I don't know what happened to them. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, someone showed you who they are, believe them. What, do you do if your friend or family member is in relationship with a gaslighter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're in denial about it, you mean? Or they're... Yeah. Or, and they just, well, they're, you know, they're working on themselves or they, I don't know. I've heard all sorts of excuses, but I've seen a pattern and I have the boundary maybe that I'm not going to be around that person. But I mean, there's only so much you can do when they're in relationship with someone else. Mm-hmm. I think you answered your own question. One of the things I try to say with my friends when they ask, when we're talking about a problem, I would say, are you looking to just vent or do you really want my opinion? Mm -hmm. And then once I'm clear on what they really need, then I have no problem being very honest Mm -hmm. because I feel like I love that person so much. I will tell the truth. But I had an experience when I was a young twenties where I had a friend who was in a very unhealthy relationship and I was honest with her and our friendship ended. She ended up going off and marrying him and Sure enough, they divorced and it became abusive, but I had to let that go. Frankly, she let me go. So I didn't have any say in it, but I felt that I had to be standing my own integrity about being honest and that I cared about her and I was worried about her, but I also, she she had to live her life. But it actually makes me think that maybe someone who is the target, the targeted person, right? That's what we're calling the person that's in relationship Mm -hmm. with a gaslighter. I know there's this chipping away that the gaslighter does, but it almost is that a targeted person actually slowly starts to remove themselves. Yes. You know, I mean, they don't even, it's not, maybe not intentionally, like in your example, I mean, I can think when I was in my experience, I didn't want to spend time with people that really knew me. And why do you think that is? Because I knew that, because I can't hide my face. I can't, I have big facial expressions. (laughs) I think I couldn't, probably couldn't hide my face or it's that feeling of, you know, some, it's that gut feeling that, you know, something isn't right. Yeah. And if somebody that really loves you asks you about it, then you actually have to face that. And that's terrifying. Yes. Because what you're really talking about is shame, shame and blame. There's a bit of shame that you would be with someone that, you know, all the people you love and trust question. Mm-hmm. And, and yet you still care about that person you're with. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's not black and white, is it? It's a very gray thing and, and you can't just pull it apart. Yeah. One of the things most people who come in and work with me with the trauma 
is the shame. And that there will be a book that I want to recommend to your audience. It's called Healing the Shame That Binds You by John Bradshaw. It's an old book. That was a book that I read in grad school, but it holds up. Mm. He talks a lot more in that book about alcoholic families, but just abuse in general. I think that's a great book for people. The other one called The Sociopath at the Breakfast Table. (laughs) (laughs) Is it by a husband and wife? Yeah. uh, McGregor is the last name. Jane and Tim. She's a doctor. It's called Recognizing and Dealing with Antisocial and Manipulative People. Oh, that's a good recommendation. That'd be an interesting read. Yeah. And there's another one called The Sociopath Next Door, Uh you know, meaning they're all over. They walk through society, unlike maybe like a psychopath who has a harder time functioning in society. You might think of like a, like a Ted Bundy or someone like that. There's something just a little off, even no matter how charming they are. But a sociopath has very capabilities of holding jobs and actually being very successful, mm-hmm. but they're, they can also completely fool you. Yeah. I think I have a really low threshold for discerning these people because I want this not to be the case so badly. Yes. Yes. That says a lot about your heart. It says a lot about you being an an empathic person and a loving person, because I relate to that so much. An empathic person does not like disharmony. We like things to be peaceful and copacetic and without a lot of waves in life. It's a natural thing to want people to get along, to have good relationships. And when we're in these relationships with these manipulators, it's really uncomfortable because it throws us off what we know our true essence, nature is, which is to, again, is the harmony. So when you're saying your threshold's kind of low, I don't know if that's maybe the correct way to put it. I think it's a sense of you can keep gathering more tools, like just the things we talked about today. Now you've got, you have more of those red flags. Yeah. So trust those, you know, when those kind of people show up, and you see that, believe it, but don't go looking for it. Like yeah. that's almost gets to be depressing, right? We're yeah, like, yeah. Oh, everyone out there's like that. That's not what we want to do, but we definitely need to have our wits about us. We need to be aware because there's enough people out there that can fool us. Yeah. I hear your heart too, Taylor, in the sense of wanting to, it's, um, I don't know, maybe I can't see it for self, but I, that feeling when you see it for another person that you then love is very it's a whole nother box of challenges. One thing that I heard regarding this topic is the warning to not be an accessory to a gaslighter. Yeah. Don't think, oh, I'm not going to say anything mm-hmm. or I'm going to just side with the gaslighter because they're pretty charming at that party. And I saw them and they seem to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. One of the psychologists, I, I can't remember her name, but she was talking about that. That's kind of a social responsibility thing to your closest friends, not to everybody, because it's not our business to get in everybody's relationship. But, but if you did have the relationship closeness with this person who was the target, the warning was be careful about supporting the gaslighting essentially by not saying something yes. or invalidating and saying, you know what? You are too sensitive. I saw them at the party. They're fine. Yes. Pam, thank you for bringing that up because apathy equates collusion and we can't have that. We can't turn a blind eye. We can't pretend it's not happening. It doesn't matter what our motivation is. We can't do that. And that is such a great point. So that's where as a friend, or a family member, whomever you're, you're witnessing someone else struggling, it's important to draw some of this attention. Honestly, if you give a little bit of language to it for that person who maybe can't quite see straight because they are in more of that disbelief defense mode, you're giving them food for thought. 
this person was saying your main job, if you're in a close relationship with the target is to help hear their version of reality. Yes. That's being dismissed. So like hold space for it and actually allow that reality to exist for that person. It doesn't mean you're approving it or disapproving it, but you don't want to say, oh, don't be silly. You're just so sensitive. You're always so crazy like that. Are you so Mm -hmm. confused? Yeah. Yeah. And when you do that, you dismiss the space that that target might've needed. Yes. You understand more about their reality that that's been dismissed so much. Yes. And I think as women, One of the things that tends to be thrown around is that we're too dramatic. What's wrong with being dramatic? That actually means you're somewhat in touch with how you're feeling. There's variations of drama, right? But my point being is that is probably the worst thing to say to somebody. You're being too dramatic, right? It's just such an insult and annoying. It's like, no, I'm, I'm feeling my feelings. But that is the point. You're right, is to not sit by idly and pretend it's not happening. Because it's very painful sometimes actually to the target. And again, getting to the, when I look at my own situation with my mom and my brother, it has been so painful to watch her make the decision she's made that I still, even to this day, with all my knowledge, cannot comprehend why she's doing what she's doing. Literally cannot understand it. But I'm aware of it. And that, to me, is half the battle. So I don't go in with my eyes closed anymore. So I make different choices. I have a relationship with her, but it looks different than it ever did before. And I'm, you know, I'm sad, but I'm not sad because I can do anything about it. I'm sad because I feel like she's lost something really important. And I'm not sure she realizes that. Yeah. It's weird to wrap your mind around that. Like they're not even realizing this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And there's something else to be looked at. Why is this manipulation happen? Is it nature? Is it nurture? It could be a little bit of both, but there's a genetic component as well. Oh. If you have a sibling, it's likely that there's a parent prior to that, that fed into that. And we have to be careful to have compassion, but not pity. We can have compassion for someone having a tough upbringing, but we don't have to be the recipient of their bad behavior. And that's really important to remember. Mm, that's a really good distinction. I'm wondering if you've ever had this experience in your practice or seen this, imagine a targeted person acknowledges there's a gaslighter. Yes. And the targeted person has people very close to them and lets those people very close to them know, hey, this person, let's call it what it is, abusive towards me. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that. And those people close to the targeted person still maintain really good relationship with that person. With the other person, with the manipulator. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? That is painful is what that is. There's a collusion of some level that they, there is a tie-in between them that is a dynamic that you will not be able to break and you will not be able to understand. And so your best bet is to decide the boundary line you want to draw. So it returns to the boundary of self. Always. It's always about self-care and self-love. You have to remember that that is essential to your wellness and to be able to be in good relationships with other people. So if the parent is, especially if they're in denial, because you do hear about this, right? Where families say, hey, I was molested by uncle so-and-so. And and yet the parent still has a relationship with their brother or sister. And you're like, how is that possible? And they deny that it happened or they don't want to know. In some cases, you might have to cut contact altogether. You need to make that call. Mm. It has to be on a level that you're comfortable with. For people who really are traumatized by gaslighting, EMDR and brain spotting have been the two most effective ways to deal with that kind of trauma. 
we don't have time to go into the explanation of it. It's very, they're actually kind of hard to explain exactly what happens, but you've probably heard of them. I would highly recommend if you have listeners who are struggling and they want to see a therapist, don't just do talk therapy. It's not going to get you where you need to go. I have found brain spotting. I've experienced it personally. It is amazing. It gets to the heart of the stuff very quickly. It really takes your, your mind out of that fight or flight mode and allows it to start to heal. Wow. Cortical level, that emotional part of the brain. I've never heard of that. Not just where it, things get stuck. And it's somatic. So you're actually doing a lot of work internally, like where you're feeling things. Again, you know, we don't have time to get into all that, but maybe if people wanted to know where to start, those are great places. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been for such a topic, really enjoyable. My pleasure. It was so lovely talking with all of you. I feel like I had no idea all of this would be unpacked and and I'm so grateful to learn from you. Thank you. Stacey, thank you so much for being here and for clarifying gaslighting and manipulation and for just giving this topic a voice. We have learned so much. If any of you listening are struggling with the issues that we've been talking about, we encourage you to seek professional help. Our podcast is designed to be educational and we aren't experts. We're learning too, but we would strongly encourage you to seek a professional. Well, thank you for joining us. And as always, be sure to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.